0: Newsweekly is an ad-free, listener-supported podcast made possible by teammates like Patrick Herps, Anthony Carter, Stuart Ecop, Izzy, and hopefully you. Just go to patreon.com slash Shah, that's S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H, to support the podcast. Top Stories of the Week! America's balmy tsunami! Also, Elon Musk syncs Twitter! And Qatar fucking sucks. This is News Weekly, and boy have I missed you. Hello, I'm Sami Shah, and welcome to News Weekly, where we punch the news in the headlines. Weekly. Waving goodbye to the Red Wave news now. Now that the UK seems to have stopped treating prime ministers like a treat in an advent calendar, where instead of a new chocolate every day, you get a new conservative politician who thinks rich people have it too tough, we can turn our attention to America, where the midterm elections were just held between Republicans and Democrats, who both believe rich people also have it too tough. Watching from a distance, the U.S. midterm elections seemed a bit extreme. On one side, you have the Republican Party, composed of Nazis who think shooting up a primary school with an AR-15 is a mandatory ritual to enter adulthood and women's wombs should be colonized by the church. The Republicans are still heavily influenced and controlled by former president and baseball cap model Donald Trump, whose entire strategy for this election is to complain about the last election.
1: The election was rigged and stolen, and now our country is being destroyed. I ran twice, I won twice, and I did much better the second time than I did the first. Getting millions and millions more votes in 2020 than I got in
0: 2016, and likewise getting more votes than any sitting
1: president in the history of our country.
0: Political scientists have long argued that the difference between the left and the right is that the left is the side of politics that looks to the future and the right is the side of politics that looks to the past. Apparently, just two years into the past is enough sometimes, though. On the other side are the Democrats, who stand for some stuff but no one's sure what, led by the oldest hair sniffer in the world, current President Joe Biden, who also looked to the recent past. Democracy is on the ballot.
1: Political violence and intimidation are on the rise all across America. And you remember January 6th, the angry mob that stormed the US Capitol, attacked law enforcement, hunted down elected officials, erected gallows to hang Vice President Pence. But what does the voting
0: public care about? What do the polls show as their top concerns going into this election?
1: poll after poll shows the economy is one of the top issues for voters right now
0: abortion was at the very bottom and now it's rising
1: abortion and the economy were tied threats to democracy have overtaken jobs and the economy abortion has now become the top issue crime has surpassed abortion gas prices climate change gun violence preserving democracy crime is a top issue inflation inflation inflation
0: this is down to the wire that's a lot on the line abortions guns and the economy If a politician ran on a platform of creating jobs for people to shoot babies, they might be the ultimate American leader, which is why the Republicans are putting their best and brightest up for election. People like former football player Herschel Walker, who offers searing insights like this.
1: At one time, science said man came from apes. Did it not? If that is true, why are there still apes?
0: He even had a solution to America's gun control problem.
1: Cane here, able, you know, and uh, you know, and that's the problem that we have. And I said, what we need to do is look into how we can stop those things. You know, he talked about doing a disinformation. What about getting a department that can look at young men that's looking at uh, women? that looking at uh, just social media. What about doing that, looking into things like that and we can stop that that way.
0: Not that the Republicans need to worry as all the polls leading up to the election promised a victory so large, it was being called the red wave. Be
1: an analyst for a second. Does it
0: feel like a red wave?
1: It feels like a red wave, Brian. You know, your predictions of a red wave are accurate. So I met a surfboard, said the red wave is coming. Red wave rising. That red wave that I'm convinced is coming. The reports I'm seeing show a big red wave coming.
0: Sleepy Joe just guaranteed a red wave in Pennsylvania.
1: There's a lot of energy on the ground. You probably hear the rally in the background right now. We think we're going to have a big red wave in Michigan.
0: That wave was getting so big the American press, which is not at all prone to hyperbole, started calling it a tsunami.
1: Democrats are bracing for the worst case scenario, a red tsunami.
0: We are officially on a red tsunami watch. Sean, we're going to see a red tsunami. Red tsunami grows. That means red tsunami. We're not just going to see a red wave. We're going to see a red tsunami. Poverty, joblessness, critical race theory, crazy gender ideology in our schools. We are going to see a red tsunami. Red tsunami, of course, is also the name of a communist sumo wrestler who fought Bret the Hitman Hart in WrestleMania 13. So with the red tidal wave looming over them, Americans went to the polls and prepared for Republicans to gain control of both Senate and House and to finally get the America they dream of. If you want to stop the destruction of our country and save the American dream, you don't hear too much about the American dream over the last two years, then this Tuesday you must go out and vote Republican in this giant red wave. And how did it go? Did a crimson tide crash over the Senate? Did the maroon current drag the House to the right? Is America finally free of the tyranny of a Democratic Party? Were the polls right. Well, not quite. Turns out polls remain about as accurate as the tarot or horoscope, and while the Republicans did make some gains, the red wave was a little less wavy.
1: Republican wave turned into a Republican sprinkle. Was it a red ripple? It was a little ripple. Like a, a little ripple. ripple. Like a little
0: ripple. As of this recording, the Senate has Democrats at 48 seats, with the Republicans at 49, with the Dems performing better than expected, which isn't hard given they were expected to drown under red water like a skinny dipping teenager at the start of the first Jaws movie. There were bigger gains for the Republicans in the House of Representatives, with 211 red seats and 197 blue seats, although some seats are still being counted and will end up going into a runoff election in December because the American voting system makes no fucking sense.
1: So, what happened? The ballots are still being counted in some states, but already a loser's been declared in the midterm election. The pundits say it was Donald Trump. With a few exceptions, most of the major candidates he embraced lost. And many political commentators are saying Trump's appearance on the campaign trail actually may have helped the Democrats.
0: Luckily for Trump, he already told everyone that this wouldn't be his fault.
1: Well, I think if they win, I should get all the
0: credit, and if they lose, I should not be blamed at all, okay? So who should be blamed? Trump is blaming, of all people, his wife Melania. Damn you, Melania! This is all bad news for Donald Trump, who was on the verge of announcing his plans to run in the 2024 presidential elections. Now the popular face of the Republican Party is the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis.
1: Instead, the night belonged to Ron DeSantis. He won re-election as Florida's governor in a landslide, taking the stage with his photogenic young family. The future goes the front page in today's New York Post. Oh, this could be war. Trump is expected to announce he'll run for the presidency next week and is already attacking DeSantis, taking credit for his success.
0: I got him the nomination. He didn't get it. I got it. Because the minute I made that endorsement, he got it. Things are so serious between the two men that Trump has coined a nickname for DeSantis, which, all his faults aside, Trump is always quite excellent at doing.
1: In a statement released by former President Donald Trump Thursday, he takes aim at Governor Ron DeSantis. He starts by referring to him as Ron DeSanctimonious, the nickname he coined last Saturday.
0: Trump at 71, Ron DeSanctimonious at 10 percent. I mean, you got to admit, Ron DeSanctimonious is pretty funny. Trump's got the brutal nicknaming precision not seen since your primary school bully. So now that the elections are largely done, what do the next two years have in store for Americans? Former Republican strategist turned anti-Trump
1: campaigner Rick Wilson predicts a Republican-controlled House will have a clear agenda. The number one, two, three, four and five article of business in the Republican House will be to impeach Joe Biden, will be to shut down the government, will be to investigate Hunter Biden's laptop, will be to investigate Dr. Anthony Fauci, and will be to investigate any political opponents that Donald Trump picks and chooses for them.
0: Damn you, Melania. When will he go to Mars and leave us all alone news now? Social media website Twitter has been many things over the years. Quite famously, it was one of the crucial tools that helped the Arab Spring movement of the early 2010s. It's given a place for whistleblowers and persecuted minorities to voice their struggles and let celebrities like Stephen Fry and Neil Gaiman communicate directly with their fans. It's also the place that created cancel culture as we know it, resulting in people losing their jobs because of an offhand joke, was a crucial part of Donald Trump's election strategy against Hillary Clinton, contributed to the rise of fake news. News saw so former American politician Anthony Weiner unironically post a picture of his penis and there was that time former Australian Defence Minister Christopher Pine liked a gay porn tweet at 2am. It has much less users than Facebook, Instagram, even Snapchat, but some of the most important people in the world are on there and things that happen on Twitter can change the world. Which is probably why Elon Musk wanted it. And what the richest man in the world wants, the richest man in the world gets at an inflated price that he instantly realizes is unjustifiable and then starts destroying in a mad panic. Elon Musk carried a kitchen sink into Twitter HQ this week, tweeting, let that sink in, then fired senior execs once closing the $44 billion deal. Musk's stated aim has been to make Twitter more of a free speech zone, even proclaiming comedy is safe again. Musk calls himself a free speech absolutist. You can finally say anything on Twitter. He's also now looking at banning people who impersonate others without them being clear uh, that they are doing so. Interestingly, this seems to be focused largely on people who are impersonating him. Uh, he has suspended several accounts of
1: people, some very well-known, like the US comedian Kathy Griffin, who changed their name and photo uh, to the name Elon Musk in a picture of him. He didn't take too kindly to that. He said, we used to warn people when we were going to suspend them for this reason. Now we're not. It's an instant ban.
0: That's right, you can say anything unless it's making fun of Elon Musk or impersonating any of the major brands which he needs to keep paying for advertising on Twitter.
1: Yesterday, the company suspended a fake Nintendo account after it posted an image of Mario making an unkind hand gesture. Another example, Eli Lilly. A fake account announced that insulin is free now. Wasn't true, of course. Impersonator is also causing chaos in the sports world. A Twitter user created a profile masquerading as ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter. The fake account falsely reported the Las Vegas Raiders had fired head coach Josh McDaniels. And there's this fake LeBron James account, which falsely claimed the basketball star had requested a trade.
0: Luckily, the richest man in the world, whose father owned a blood diamond mine in South Africa and recently impregnated his stepdaughter has a plan. That plan is to fire 4,000 employees, beg advertisers not to leave, tell remaining staff to expect bankruptcy, then watch that remaining staff start to leave while demanding they sleep in their offices.
1: Musk warned Twitter may lose billions of dollars next year. Exits of senior executives who had been viewed as future leaders losing more than $4 million a day. And a warning from a US regulator.
0: See? It's all going according to plan. This could be the end of Twitter. And a lot of people on Twitter are very upset about it, in much the same way that heroin addicts are upset in the first few days of quitting heroin. Inadvertently destroying Twitter might be the greatest thing Elon Musk has done for humanity, forcing us to leave the place that so many of us spent all our time on, thinking it was a productive thing to do, when in fact we'd all become like those fentanyl addicts who roam the streets of America, scrolling continuously for our next dopamine hit of judging strangers. Let that sink in. I am Sam News now. Despite it not being on Twitter or involving Elon Musk, the war in Ukraine is still important, especially with Russia announcing a major withdrawal from a key region.
1: President Zelensky says Ukraine is moving very carefully after Russia's announcement that it's withdrawing its troops from the southern Ukrainian city of Kherson. Russia's commander in Ukraine says it's no longer possible to keep supplying troops there.
0: The withdrawal is a huge deal, given that Kherson is the capital of one of the four regions Vladimir Putin declared was Russian just a few weeks ago. Putin is reportedly so upset that he threw several oligarchs out of the window just to de-stress a little bit. Zelensky has proven a formidable opponent to Putin. Putin fancied himself a military leader, but Zelensky has done better than him so far. Zelensky even has better Hollywood stars in his corner now. For a long time, Putin had counted Aikido performer and sitting-down enthusiast Steven Segal as a close personal friend. Well, Zelensky will see you under siege and raise you an I am Sam with Sean Penn. He showed his support for Ukraine in a symbolic move, I guess you could say. The actor handed his Oscar to Ukraine's president who posted a video of the moment. Zelensky said that Penn bought the Oscar as a show of faith in Ukraine and its war against Russia's unprovoked invasion. Now, Penn is heard telling Zelensky that the Oscar can be returned to him in Malibu, quote, when he wins. War really is brutal. Meanwhile, military analysts are wondering if Russia will redeploy the troops who just withdrew to any other part of Ukraine, although it's more likely they'll be taught basic hacking skills and also let loose on Australia, where the Australian Federal Police has finally revealed who was behind the recent hack of Medibank, stealing the personal records of up to 9.7 million customers.
1: It's the Russians. We believe those responsible for the breach are in Russia. Our intelligence points to a group of loosely affiliated cyber criminals who are likely responsible for past significant breaches in countries across the world. The Commissioner didn't name the group responsible, but the ABC understands authorities believe it's a Russian-based cyber criminal gang known as Reval Group one that operates with the protection of Vladimir Putin.
0: The hackers are demanding millions of dollars in ransom money or they will post the personal information of millions of Australians to the dark web, already putting out the names of people who have had abortions or received psychiatric help for alcohol addiction. Between this and the previous Optus hack, it's now just easier for every Australian to put their own data online for sale. It's going to get out there anyway. You might as well be the one earning some money from it. If you don't boycott the World Cup, don't fucking talk to me, news now. The FIFA World Cup kicks off on the 20th of November, and people around the world will finally get a chance to see just what the oil-rich nation of Qatar was able to accomplish using slave labour and corruption. It all began in 2010, when the president of FIFA at the time, Sepp Blatter, which is a real name that I didn't steal from the latest season of The Mandalorian, announced the nation that won the 2022 bid to host the World Cup. The winner to organise the 2022 FIFA World Cup is Qatar! The announcement came as a shock as Qatar had never been a football nation, never having made it to the finals, nor having a single player that anyone outside Qatar could name. It's like holding a sumo world championship in, uh, I, I don't know, Qatar, I guess, or the, or, or the Australian rules football finals in Qatar, I guess. Basically, having anything there doesn't make sense because there's nothing in Qatar.
1: Qatar had no real history in the world game. It's a country of just 2.8 million people. It's situated on a peninsula in the Arabian Sea, dotted with massive sand dunes and salt pans. Fossil fuels have made it one of the richest countries per capita. Summer temperatures in Doha in June and July, when the World Cup is typically held, often hit 45 degrees and above.
0: Other than oil, Qatar is also famous for being the headquarters of Al Jazeera News, and like most Middle Eastern nations, being composed almost entirely of stupid fucking buildings constructed by exploited South Asian workers, while the local population lets Filipino maids raise their children as they spend their time trying to pay Instagram models to fuck them and making young boys do the stupid sword dances to torturously atonal music while covering goats in salt and considering that a viable cuisine. In the lead-up to the World Cup, Qatar has spent $220 billion in constructing a massive stadium that more than one person has pointed out looks like a vulva people are buzzing about the design of the al Wakrah Stadium being built for the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. According to Jezebel, quote, any discerning human will be quick to recognize that the building looks exactly like an enormous vagina. And it would have cost more if Qatar had actually paid its workers, many of whom are still waiting for their salaries five years later, not being able to leave because the Qatari government sees their passports. And those are the ones lucky enough to still be alive.
1: Analysis by The Guardian in 2021 revealed that at least six and a half 5,000 migrant workers had died in Qatar since the World Cup was awarded.
0: Qatar is aware of the criticisms, with the government offering its rebuttal in an Al Jazeera interview. Al Jazeera is a news channel that is proud of proclaiming its independence while being entirely reliant on the Qatari royal family for all its funding. This is taken from a report titled Qatar and the 2022 World Cup Start Here on the Al Jazeera YouTube page that was posted three days ago and has already got over 143,000 views.
1: Now here's what Qatar's Supreme Committee, the organizers of the World Cup, told us in a statement. Despite our commitment to our rigorous standards, it is unfortunately the case that, as elsewhere in the world, work-related injuries and deaths still occur on our projects and there have been three work-related fatalities and 37 non-work-related deaths. Except
0: that's not exactly true.
1: The International Labour Organization asserts this is a severe underestimate because Qatar doesn't count deaths from heart attacks and respiratory failure as being work-related, even though these are common symptoms of heatstroke, which is what can happen when you're doing hard labor, in high temperatures."
0: Choosing which deaths count as work related while workers are toiling under 45 degree heat without basic human rights is as ridiculous as I don't know having a football World Cup in Qatar. The Al Jazeera report which doesn't interview a single migrant laborer does somehow manage to get a quote from Nasir al khatir the Qatar World Cup CEO who rolled out this line of blatant bullshit.
1: I don't think any country can claim to have done As much as Qatar has done in the past ten years to improve the working conditions, um, living standards, the introduction of minimum wage, Qatar has been a trailblazer in the region.
0: Yes, it's easy to do a lot to improve work standards when the starting point was no standards at all. When you count upwards from zero, the number always increases, even if it's in tiny decimal points. If you decide to put out a single glass of water for the thousands and thousands of Indians, Pakistanis, Bangladeshis and Nepali workers cooking alive as they build your Vulva stadium, that's better than no glass of water. Yes, that's absolutely true. But trailblazing isn't impressive when you set the entire... Trail on fire to begin with. Here's Abdullah Al aryan an associate professor of history at Georgetown University in Qatar. In the same report that, let me remind you, didn't find a single migrant worker to interview.
1: There are, you know, certain legitimate criticisms to be raised, that at the same time. There are some that we've seen from some segments and corners of the media and other international audiences that have tended to veer a little bit toward a kind of very racialized way of looking at Qatar or kind of an orientalist way of thinking specifically about Qatar as if it exists completely outside of a very um, you know, troubling kind of international labor system uh, that is quite exploitative.
0: That's right, those migrant workers who keep dying because of the inhuman working conditions are racist. And Orientalist. And poor Qatar is just a victim of the exploitation of labour that it's exploiting. Still, if you're the kind of person who doesn't care about human misery and suffering and just wants to join the World Cup, then you can travel to Qatar, where tickets for the games are up to $425 each and drinks cost around $140 a pint. Oh, and you can only drink in your hotel or you could face up to a $1,200 fine and six months in jail as long as you aren't gay. Because being gay in Qatar, that's just illegal.
1: Sky News heard directly from Qatar's foreign minister. We have our cultural norms. We have our society uh, uh, and what they like and what they don't like. We are not going to change the society for four weeks' event. Yet we are respecting everyone and expecting from everyone to respect our laws.
0: Respect their laws. Don't be gay. Or drink. Or die while working in 45 degree heat. Or expect to get paid for that work. Because doing any of those things in Qatar is as ridiculous as... I don't know. Having a football World Cup in fucking Qatar. That's it for this week's edition of News Weekly. Thank you so much for sticking around even though I took a three week break. I was on a work holiday as I'd mentioned in the last episode. I am back now and News Weekly will be back on a regular weekly schedule... Next week, actually, is our 50th episode. I mean, technically, we've done more than 50 episodes um, at this point, if you count all the editorial editions. But, you know, just pure news weeklies. Next week is the 50th episode. I don't know yet what I'm going to do to make it special. I'm going to try to figure something out. If you have any ideas, shoot them my way on samishah at gmail.com. That's S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H at gmail.com. Otherwise, head over to the Patreon. You can always message me there as well. Thank you very much. I look forward to seeing you right back here next week on Newsweek where we punch the news in the headlines weekly